Welcome to Parkview. I, I read about this lady. She was a kind of a delicate lady, and, uh, and she and her husband were, were campers. They always spent their vacation camping, different campgrounds around the country. And um, she, she, she was so delicate that she was having a hard time um, asking the camp facility about their facilities. I mean, she wanted to write them and find out about their bathrooms, but she just couldn't bring herself to write the word toilet or, uh, you know, or commode or bathroom or whatever. Well, finally, she just came up with the old-fashioned term, bathroom commode, and she said, I'm just going to do it. So she said, dear, dear sirs, I, I want to ask about your campground and about your bathroom commode. But then when she wrote it down, she was like, no, scratch it out. You know, I can't do that. So she went back again, and she decided just to shorten it to BC. Sirs, I, I would like to find out about your campground and about your BC. Are you equipped with a BC? Well, well, unfortunately, the guy who ran the campground, he didn't know what she was talking about. He was not a proper, delicate, you know, person. He didn't know what she was talking about. And so he started asking people, you know, well, what do you think the BC means? And somebody said, I bet she's religious. I bet it means the Baptist church. So he wrote her back, dear madam, I regret very much the delay in answering your letter, but I now take the pleasure of informing you that the BC is located six miles north of the campground. It is capable of seating 250 people at one time. I will admit that it's quite a distance away if you were in the habit of going regularly. <clears throat> no doubt you will be pleased to know that a great number of people take their lunches along and make a day of it. They usually arrive early and stay late. The last time my wife and I went was six months ago. It was so crowded that we had to stand up the whole time. Right now there's a supper plan to raise money for more seats. It will be held in the basement of the BC. I would like to say that it pains me that I'm not able to go more regularly, but it is not for a lack of desire on my part. As we grow older, it seems to be more of an effort, particularly in cold weather. If you do decide to come to our campground, perhaps I could go with you the first time that you go, sit with you, and introduce you to all the other folks. Remember, this is a very friendly community. I love the church. I love talking about the church and, and what it's all about. And, and, and I know that you understand that we are a church. That's who we are. But you might not understand why we are the kind of church that we are. Let me just ask for a show of hands. How many of you did grow up in the church? Go ahead and raise your hand. All right. Just let me see. All right. And I know most of you grew up in a Catholic church, right? So go ahead and put your hand up if you grew up in a Catholic church. All right. I'm not, I'm not pointing you out. I just, I want you to understand that I think that what happens a lot of times is that people think the difference between the kind of church that Parkview is and the kind of church that maybe you grew up in um, is a difference between Catholic and Protestant. And I want you to understand something. First of all, we are not Protestant. The root word of, of Protestant is protest, and I am not protesting anything. You could call me a lot of things and not get a rise out of me, but don't call me a Protestant, okay? You call me a cheesehead if you want, but don't call me a Protestant. The difference, however, is not about doctrine. It's not about, it's not about Protestant or Catholic. It's not about, it's not about you know, what we believe and the message. The difference between what Parkview does and most other churches, is the method. I did not grow up in a Catholic church like many of you. I did not have a priest in a robe and incense and rosary prayers, but we had pastors in suits and hymns and Shakespearean prayers. And we sang about the cherubim and the seraphim who were and art 
and evermore shall be. And I knew Art, but I had no idea who Art was or where he evermore would be. The, the thing is, I'm saying, our church growing up and your church growing up were probably the same. They weren't like this, but it's not because of the message, it's because of the method. Every church, every church is supposed to exist to help people come home to God. And most of them choose a different method than the one we do, okay? Honestly, most of them choose a method that is the way they've always done it, all right? And, uh, and I'm just being honest. If, if you want to know the reason why 70 to 80% of the churches in America are stagnant or declining and 4,000 churches close every year is because their leaders care more about the model than they do about people, right? Andy Stanley says it this way, <clears throat> all churches are culturally relevant. The question is whether they are relevant to a culture <laughs> that currently exists in their community or to one that disappeared <clears throat> generations ago. We have decided to be different. We have decided to be on mission. And as, <clears throat> as missionaries, you have to learn the culture, right? I mean, I'm going to be going to Malawi in, in, in a few weeks, and we're going to be bringing the, the, this, this beautiful message of Jesus and bringing everybody together. But you know what? I'm having my book, Life on Mission, translated into the Chichiwa language. It is a very little-known language, not very many books translated into that language because it's so remote. But we're going to do that because we're going to them. We're not going to force them to learn English so that they can read. They have a Chichiwa Bible. We're going to go to them. That's what missionaries do. And so we have decided that we are going to be a mission church right here where we are in the south suburbs of Chicago. And when you do something differently, there is one thing that you can always be sure of. Uh, as one theologian said, the player's going to play, 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 and the hater's going to hate, 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 hate. That's what's going to happen. I read the new Wright Brothers uh, biography this summer. It's a fascinating read. They're great Christian men who dared to imagine a world where humans could actually fly. And man, did they have haters. I mean, it's a really interesting read. People thought they were crazy. Theologians told them this is against the plan of God. The U.S. government didn't want anything to do with it, so they shook it off, shook it off, and took their planes to France. That's where they got started. Because when you do things differently, it's going to make some people uncomfortable. And sometimes you just need to shake it off when people are uncomfortable. I've been doing that for 25 years, okay? Uh, but I'm, I'm going to spend the next three weeks trying to answer some of the common questions that people have about Parkview or a church like Parkview. Um, we're actually borrowing this series concept from a church called Eaglebrook up in Minnesota that's twice our size. And, and it gives me a chance to share the vision with you for why we do the things that we do. And I hope that I'm not being defensive. I don't want to be defensive. I just want to explain why we do what we do. And let me say right up front, the Parkview is not for everybody. The way we do it is not right. It's just one way of doing it. If this place isn't for you, I would gladly recommend any number of churches around here where you might feel more comfortable. I had lunch with one of those pastors yesterday. I just want you to understand why we do what we do. 
So we're spending three weeks, and I want to encourage you to be here for all of them, all right? Uh, is the church just a big show? Is this week? Next week, the church just wants my money. And the, next, the last week is the church just wants to get big. Those are three rumors that we are going to talk about. We're just going to be right up front and say, here's why we do what we do, okay? <clears throat> so the first one is, why does your church have this big worship center? Why does it feel like an auditorium? Why do you have cameras and a band? Isn't this just a big show? And, and this comes in one of two ways to me, you know? It either comes uh, from the, I don't think that's appropriate that you do things that way, or it comes in the form of, I feel guilty because I like church. What's wrong with me? And again, this is about the fact that most of us have a model of church that is supposed to be dull and lifeless, because that is all that we knew. Heard about a little girl, she was walking through the halls of the church one day, and she looked up on the, on the wall, and there was a plaque there, and uh, there's a bunch of names, you know, that had been inscribed in little plates and put up on this plaque, and she was looking at it, she was trying to figure out what it was, and a deacon walked by, and she said, excuse me, sir, can you tell me who these people are on this plaque? And the deacon said, oh, those are the... Those are the members of our church who died in the service. She leaned over and said, the nine or the 11? That's what we're used to. And, and some people feel guilty about enjoying church. Some people think it's weird. Some people will go so far as to call us, and when I say us, I mean me, irreverent. Okay. Let me tell you why. <clears throat> when I moved here 25 years ago, my wife and I moved here 25 years ago, my Wright brother's dream of a church was exactly what you see in front of you today. Not the kind of church that we thought people wanted. It was the kind of church that we believe God wanted. It all started in 1977. Some of you have heard me tell this story before. I'm in the back seat of a light blue Mustang on my way to high school. And uh, I'm with three friends that I rode to school with who were not believers and as far as I knew, they didn't go to church anywhere. They knew who I was. My dad was a pastor of a local church that was there. But, but those things had never gone together. And all of a sudden, I remember it, like, it, it was a moment. I, all of a sudden, the Doobie Brothers song came on. And I still don't know why they wrote this song. But it was Jesus is just all right with me. And I was listening. And I was looking around. And I'm, I'm not kidding you, I had an Apostle Paul knock me off the horse moment because it was, listen to me, it was the first time that culture and Jesus had intersected in my life. The first time ever. Because I lived in the church world that was irrelevant to the culture, and I also lived in the culture world that didn't seem connected to Jesus. And for the first time, because the doobies were smoking something that I don't think we should know about, and wrote this song called Jesus is Just Alright With Me, I could see how if someday I could have a church that could like play the Doobie Brothers, that my friends would actually come to church. Because I couldn't invite my friends to church. They didn't know work. They didn't know art. They didn't know where he evermore would be. So they weren't going to be interested in coming. Fortunately for me, in a whole lot of ways, I married a wonderful woman. And, and fortunately for me, or unfortunately for, me, for her, she grew up in the same kind of church. We all grew up in the same kind of church back then, okay? And her church was great, and my church was great. I love the background that I had. But it was 20 or 30 years behind the time. So Denise and I, when we moved here 25 years ago, set out to build a church that our kids, this is something very important, 
We wanted to have a church that our kids could invite their friends to. And here it is. And they did. And even though my kids all moved away, many of their friends still actually come here. And so do yours. So we have a church that has tried to match the culture with Jesus as much as possible. I quote lyrics from Taylor Swift or Kesha or sing karaoke with Neil Diamond or we have a kicking band and I use humor because I want Jesus to be all right with everyone because everyone is all right to Jesus and that's why he died to save them. The best word we came up with for this is accessibility. And I believe it goes to the very heart of who Jesus is. I mean, in Jesus' day, ironically, the same thing was happening. The religious leaders were not making it easy for people to come into the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus got on their case. He said, woe to you, religious leaders, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let enter those who are trying to. The Greek verb there indicates that people really wanted to get into the kingdom, but they couldn't do it because of the religious leaders. What was Jesus complaining about? He was complaining about the fact that what they were doing was tying up heavy, cumbersome loads and putting them on other people's shoulders and not doing anything to lift a finger to move them. That sounds like religion, doesn't it? My translation of that is Jesus is saying, you are making the kingdom of heaven feel inaccessible. And he didn't like it, and I don't like it, so here we are. Have you done one of these Chinese lanterns where you, you know, you light the little wax thing and you put it in the middle and you, and you fill it up with air? It's probably illegal in Illinois, burn, burn, burn everything down. But um, when I was together with my family over the 4th of July, I got some, I got a Groupon, okay? That's, that's, like, the, that's like the dumbest thing you can say, right? I had a Groupon. And so I got like 24 of these Chinese lanterns for $24. There's a reason it's on Groupon, okay? You know this, right? Okay, 24, so basically I got them for a buck a piece, okay? And, and I got them and they came straight from China. I mean like straight from China. Um, let, let, let me just show you like some of the directions, okay? This is on here, I promise. Should choose at the option open calm environment released for flight, no fire ban in areas, the tall building, the floor, the tall building, the floor, and so on, have covers under the thing to release for flight, must leave outside the airport 10 kilometers from flying. You got that? Okay. Kong Ming light can only be used for the distribution of special purpose of fuel prohibited by any burning replace. Kong Ming light are on the rise, that of the flying cannot be long time not put, and the flight not to be append the foreign body. I, I, I'm, I'm glad to tell you that nobody was harmed in the launching of my Chinese lantern, but you understand why they came 24 for $24, right? Okay? Shipped straight from China. Now, that's how a lot of people view church. They go to church and they're like, who's work? Who's art? Where's the ever going more? Where am I supposed to stand? Am I supposed to kneel? Am I supposed to sit? What am I supposed to do? Right? Uh, here's the thing that Parkview is trying to do. Okay? Have you bought anything from Ikea? Okay? 
These, these are the instructions in Ikea, okay? Well, obviously, there's no words because a lot of different languages use it. You don't need words. All you need are pictures, right? Uh, um, if it's broken, don't put it together, okay? Right? If, um, it, it, you make sure you got a friend. Isn't this great? I mean, I could just, this could be the gospel, right? Make sure you've got a friend, right? And if you have a question and you don't know what to do, call us. Just call Ikea, right? And here's one of the instructions for the bookshelf that I bought, right? Everything is very simple. Here's where the screwdriver goes. It goes in there. Everything is going to be simple. It's really that easy. That's what we're trying to do, okay? And here's, here's what I want you to understand. The reason that most people in our country grew up with some kind of a faith background and have left it, the number one category of religious people in, in the country, is because the kingdom never felt accessible and it was never translated into their language. Basically, they went to the same church as Stuart Smalley. You know, they were told they weren't good enough, they weren't smart enough, and doggone it, nobody likes you. Come on, that's funny right there, come on. And here's why that's bad, okay? Here's why this is bad. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion, and he ran to his son and threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. That's how dad feels about all those people that are trying to read our Chinese instructions for the gospel and not understanding it. He's a long way off, but the father sees him, is filled with compassion, and he runs to him. And what happens? Older brother comes along and says, wait, wait a minute, this is not right. You are making the kingdom too doggone accessible. The father's response was, no, no, we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. So do we put on a big show so that people will like Jesus? No. L let me explain with another New Testament writer who I think got this really, really well. The Apostle Paul said, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might reach them. All, all, Paul's saying, I'm going to use any tool, I'm going to use any method, because here's the deal. I used to not be a believer, I used to persecute Christians, and my life was miserable, and Jesus literally knocked me off my horse and said, why don't you follow me, and he changed my life, and I know that if Jesus can forgive me, I'm going to do anything I can, I'm going to use anything I possibly can to help people come to Jesus. I'm going to do anything I can to bring heaven to earth and take earth to heaven, right? Look at the full context. Look at the full context. Even though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, Paul said. A slave to everyone. Why? To win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew, because he could do that. He knew it. Uh, to those under the law, I became like one under the law. To, so, to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. So that to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became the weak. I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means, I might save some. And I do this for the sake of the gospel, so that I may share in its blessing. What, what Paul is saying here is, I will do anything, short of sinning, obviously, but I will do anything. I will change anything. I will give up anything, what I eat, what I wear, how I speak if it would mean bringing people to faith in Christ. 
And that is the word right there, accessibility. Is it a big show? No. Does that mean we do church as come as you are, sing just as I am and lead just as you were? No. Kingdom of Jesus will never allow you to do that. Follower of Jesus is a disciple of Jesus, is an apprentice of Jesus. And by the way, the world killed Jesus. And by the way, Jesus said the world will hate you. And Jesus said you are not of this world, right? He said that. That's not what we're doing. We're not changing the message. We're just changing the method. Ed Stetzer said it this way. It is ironic that most evangelical churches are filled with people who live very much like the world, but look very different from it. It should be exactly the opposite. We should look similar to those in our community and act differently. Does that make sense? You see what I'm saying? Listen, some people are never going to want to come to the Father. It breaks his heart, but some people are never going to want to come. But what Paul and what Jesus and what I am trying to say is that there are a whole pile of people out there who have, to quote Jesus, had the kingdom shut in their faces and not been able to get in. So that instead of, you may remember this, instead of seeing this picture, they see this picture when they think about the church. And the sad truth of it is, you guys, if the church context is bad, if it looks bad, if it smells bad, if it's bad, the message of Christ is bad, if it's presented badly, then they're going to stay lost. The real irony of it is, is sometimes we'll have people come to Parkview and they'll put their faith in Christ for the first time and they'll start growing and maturing in their faith. And then all of a sudden, one day, they look around and they go, why do we have all this? You know, why do we have coffee and lights and, you know, a band? I don't need any of this. And when they start telling me that, you know what I say? I say, you know what? You're right. As a follower of Christ, I couldn't worship God in a smelly, moldy basement. I really could. Okay. I don't care. It's just going to be hard for me to convince my neighbors that Jesus is awesome and that the church wants to love you and help you on your faith journey. But, oh, and by the way, we meet and worship in a moldy, smelly basement. It's just not going to work. And and the truth is there may come a time when something that brought you to this church may turn you off to this church. I hope you will understand that once you are in the kingdom, your mission is to be about those who are not. Don't ever forget that. Once you are in the kingdom, the mission's always for everybody out there. Jesus told it this way. Suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over the one out there, sinner, who repents than the 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Notice that he left the sheep in the open country. He left the sheep where they were in danger where they were going to have to find their own food and water while he went to go find the lost one. He could think of nothing else until the lost one was home. And that, my friends, is why we do things the way we do them. Because when you invite your friend, we want them to come and experience something that glorifies Jesus and is relevant and accessible to them at the same time. We want it to be Ikea church, okay? We we want it to be something where they come. I I mean, it's... 
It's like a first date, okay? You, you, you get this, right? It's like a first date. It's like if, if this is a really special person you're going on a first date with, guys, what, what, what did you do? You showered, right? You washed your car, ladies. You did your little lady thing, whatever you do to get ready for your first date because you want to make a good first impression, right? You want this to go well. That's, that, it's not a show. We just want to make Jesus look and feel accessible. You know, the irony of this is I know I'm talking to some of you like me who grew up in a church environment where you were told to wear your Sunday best, right? And to be on your best behavior because you were going to God's house. Am I right? Am I right? Right? And you would go into God's house and if you got there five minutes before the service started, you would see the organist and the song leader standing by the piano picking out the songs that you were going to sing that day because they always waited to the last minute. And then when it came communion time, an elder would get up and say, well, George was supposed to have communion meditation today, but he's not here. So let's read 1 Corinthians 11 that we read absolutely every week at communion time. And here we go. And then a trio of girls would get up with an obvious lack of talent and preparation and sing, give of your best to the master. Do you understand what I'm talking about? And then we'd wonder, how come our church isn't reaching our community? And then we'd blame the pastor and fire him and go hire another one because somebody ought to be doing this. I'm sorry, I lived that. That's the world my dad had to live in. Because anytime anybody tries to do anything really well, it, it's going to seem like a show. Anything you didn't grow up with is going to seem like a show. Again, Andy Stanley, when the church fails to distinguish between its current model and its mission to which it's been called, it will mistakenly fossilize the model. I love that word. It will mistakenly fossilize the model. That church will soon die, or maybe not soon, but it will die. Again, 70 to 80% of the churches in the country are stagnant or declining. So the reason that we do the stuff we do, the music we do, for example, 80% of the music on the radio is rock or pop music. It's not a mission. It's not a message. It's just a model. And it will change. Here's Here's what's funny about this. It will change. And someday those of us who like it, You know, someday we'll be back to like Gregorian chants, you know, in church, and all of us will be longing for the good old days, you know, when we used to sing Tomlin and have electric guitars and drums in church. Now, those were the good old days, right? We'll be doing that, okay? I I know it. I get it. Because because if you're married to the model, you're not going to be able to change. So the reason we've been adjusting for 25 years around here to the culture is because it's that important. And I want to tell you, we've done it from the very beginning. Back in the very beginning, we sang with overhead projector. Remember the overhead projector? You know, hey, Bill, move your hand. Uh, we, can't, we can't read that next line of the hymn, right? And then we got slides, and we figured out how to make our own slides. So I promise you, in the early days of this church, on Saturday night, I would throw a blanket over my computer screen. I would have a 35-millimeter camera with slide film in it, and I would take pictures of the black screen with the letters on it so that I could make PowerPoint slides for the next Sunday worship. And we did that because we wanted to try to engage culture as best we could. The real irony that some of you will remember is in the old building. For some reason, they, would, they didn't bother to put light switches in. So all we had was a breaker panel that was literally like right there on the wall. So when we started trying to create moods with lighting, you know what would happen? It would be like this. It would be like, okay, let's have communion. Let's pray. 
clack, 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 as somebody turned all the breakers off. But we did it because we wanted to help the culture. We wanted to do everything we could. It's not about the model, it's about the message. We don't serve coffee because we're trying to be cool. We don't serve coffee because we want to throw money away. People like coffee. And it makes a new person feel welcome if they bring it in. And I know some of you will spill it. And I know the maintenance crew hates me for saying this, but bring it in anyway. I don't care, all right? Go to Costco and get an adult sippy cup like me, and you will solve that problem. That's why we have coffee. We want you to feel at home. We don't do contemporary music because we want it to be a concert. We want to make it accessible. And yes, we do it a little bit louder than some of you are comfortable with, but worship is not about harmonizing with your neighbor. It's about pouring out your heart to God. Go read Revelation 4 and look at worship in heaven. There's going to be flashing lights and claps of thunder and blaring trumpets and and choruses of angels everywhere. It's going to be a lot like this, okay? And yeah, do I use humor? Do I use too much humor? Maybe, but here's the deal. I mean, I can't help it, okay? And, and, And B, my target audience is a young male who has run away from God because he thinks church is dumb. My target audience is, the, is a prodigal son. And he probably has ADHD like me. And he needs to stay with me because this stuff is a matter of life and death. So I use humor. I read recently a study of millennials, the young generation right now. And this study was quoted in an in, in a MTV survey that said, and I quote, humor is the new rock and roll. Humor is the new rock and roll. The young generation, they need this. And that reminded me of a letter I got recently. Dear Tim, I'm sitting by my computer having listened to your sermon from last weekend. The great thing is that my 16-year-old daughter is sitting next to me on her computer. I had turned up the volume a little, hoping she might hear something that touches her heart. You see, the rest of my family aren't believers yet. Well, I knew she heard some of the sermon because I heard her laughing and looking at something funny that you'd put up on the screen. A couple of weeks ago, my 13-year-old son was on the computer while I was next to him listening to one of your sermons. And again, I turned up the volume. And again, Eric, too, was laughing at one of your jokes or your stories. So I knew he was listening. She said, so I guess I just want to thank you for being funny. Parentheses, not looking funny, being funny. And thank all who make the online sermons available in in my home. Since my family does not go to church, it's nice to bring church to them. I want to play you a piece of a... uh, of a video sermon from one of my mentors, Ben Merrill, who was at the time of this. I I was the head of a convention. I was the president of a convention for church leaders last year. And I asked Ben, my mentor, 86-year-old Ben Merrill, to come and address people on this issue. Okay. He, uh, he led a church in California, the one that Gene Apple preaches at now, to 3,000 back in the 80s. It was one of the largest churches in, in Southern California. He retired at 65, went to St. Louis, and did it again and just retired. (laughs) He's he's incredible. So I said, Ben, would you come and talk to the older people in our audience about this issue? Here you go. What about the older people? Where do I start? (laughs) I don't much like the new music either. That's a good place to start, isn't it? In fact, I haven't liked it longer than most of you haven't liked it. I haven't even caught up with Bill Gaither's music. I'm still back with John Peterson, you know. 
But the point of it is, we need to hang in there and stop complaining. And let me illustrate. Tim Harlow wanted me to tell this story. Congregation I served had a lady in it named Elizabeth Dolan. The event I'm going to tell you about happened when she was either 81 or 82 years of age. This lady was a real servant. At that time, the church had a youth choir called the Life Society. The Life Society was on the cutting edge of contemporary music. They were asked to sing all over Southern California. Elizabeth Dolan, whenever possible, would get on the bus and ride with them to their engagements and attend their concerts, and the kids loved having her along. One night in an elders meeting, Ray said, does Mrs. Dolan really like that music? There was a long pause and Howard said, no, Mrs. Dolan loves kids. And that settled the matter. Out of that, out of that came a motto that I've tried to live by, another one. It goes like this. I will be willing to put up with things I don't like for the sake of reaching people who are not like me. And you can adopt that same motto. Sometimes people say, well, I, I want deeper messages. What does that mean? I want more scripture. I total it up. I average 10 scriptures a week, 10 verses. What that means a lot of times is I want expository versus topical. I want to go through a Bible book. And, and, and you know what? That's fine. There's nothing in scripture that says how we ought to preach. I like preaching through Bible books sometimes. Here's what the scripture does say. Jesus said, go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And, and, and so sometimes I go through a Bible book, but everything that Jesus commanded is not in a single Bible book. So sometimes I bounce around like I do in this series right now. Besides the people that sometimes, usually, often complain about needing a deeper sermon is usually somebody that's been a Christian a long time. And as my friend Carl George would say, are already educated well beyond their level of obedience. C.S. Lewis said, most of us need to be reminded more than we need to be instructed. It's like weight loss, Right? I mean, how can, there, how can there be so many books on weight loss? How hard is it? Eat less than you burn. That's it, right? That, yeah, maybe what you need is somebody to motivate you, okay? I get that. So what did Jesus do? How did Jesus teach? That's interesting. Jesus spoke all of these things to the crowd in parables or stories. Oh, Jesus, I wish you were a little deeper. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. Uh, I'm, I'm loving it right now because Pastor Brian from uh, Lockport is now out in California, and he's now doing my job, and he's writing me, and I'm laughing at all the things that is happening to him now because he gets to wear the big boy pants, and I love it. He just got a note from somebody saying, Pastor Brian, we love your preaching, but please don't use slang words, okay? I, I don't know, maybe he called Satan a duty head. I don't know what he did, but the truth is Jesus used the common language. There was an educated language, and there was a common Koine Greek, and that's what Jesus did. 
Was Jesus funny or ironic? I don't know. You hypocrite. Take the log out of your eye and then you'll see clearly. I mean, that seems like irony to me. Seems like a millennial would like that. Did Jesus use current events? Oh yeah, sure he did. Those 18 people who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty? This was like a current event that had happened right there. And Jesus talked about mustard seeds and farmer's fields and rocky soil and prodigal sons and lost sheep and bad fruit. And he used everyday examples to illustrate illustrate biblical truths. Haddon Robinson's a great professor of preaching. He said, just because it's muddy doesn't mean it's deep. So listen, our next series can't, couldn't, couldn't be any really deeper. It's called It's Your Soul, Man. And we're going to talk about the one part of you that lives forever. We're still going to make it accessible to you. What our goal is as a church is to help you in the rapids. This is an old picture of me taking my kids on a very, very dangerous whitewater rapid and um, should have never done it. I just always like this picture because I want you to be able to see this guy back here. I want you to be able to see the guide, okay? That's who I am. That's who we are. When you come to this church, you, you get in the boat and it, it'll be easy. I mean, we get in the boat in the easy part, not, not, not hard rapids. It's the easy part. And you get in and we will help you. And we will help you to grow. But here's the one thing that I learned about whitewater rafting. When you get to the tricky parts, you'd better learn to row yourself. You'd better learn to jump in because otherwise we may crash. We've got the next steps card in your bulletin with all of these amazing growth opportunities for you. I can't make you go. I can't make you do it. We got all these classes. We got a weekly study guide. We got things to prepare you as we get ready for It's Your Soul Man. We got a Fresh Start Women's study. All these different short-term missions trips, a prayer team, all kinds of stuff for you to get and row on your own. And we're going to guide you and we're going to help you. But you're going to have to learn to do this on your own. And we use video. I don't know if you noticed or not, but I'm not here right now. Why do we use video? Well, I, I'm not out having a party this weekend. I did that last weekend. It was my birthday, and I had a party. Thank you, ma'am. Don't, don't sing happy birthday to me. I'm not really there. Remember? Okay. Um, here, here's the deal. I'm in Jacksonville, Florida this weekend, starting Life on Mission, the campaign that I wrote, 40 Days of Mission, for a large church, one of the most influential churches in Jacksonville, Florida. And I'm going to be preaching at Parkview eight out of the next 10 weekends. And the two weekends I'm not preaching, I'm going to be in Africa and I'm going to be in California for the birth of my granddaughter. And so I don't have any other weekends to do this. And I wanted to preach here and I want to preach there. And so I decided, you know what, I'm going to lay this down on video because, because Lockport, you're, you're used to this, right? This is how this goes. And people on the internet and our next campus that I will unpack for you in two weeks, that's all. We watch on video Sunday night. This is how it goes, okay? It shouldn't be foreign to you. I wanted to do this. I wanted to make it together. But that's why we have good quality video. It's a strategy for us. And I'll unpack that more along the way. Yeah. Do we have a band? Absolutely. Do you know most of our band are volunteer? Camera people, look around. The directors, they're all volunteer. And I know there's a part of this where some, some of you will go, well, why do we spend all this money when we could be feeding the poor? I'll tell you about that next week, okay? The reason that we do what we do will be summed up with my friend Reuben. Some of you know Reuben. Reuben is like the rock star volunteer around here. 
he's here so much his kids think he lives here. You know, they, 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 think, they think that they live here. They're in the nur- just go to the nursery, they're there. You know how Reuben came? Reuben came one day because he had a job driving one of our members around. She just needed somebody, couldn't drive at the time, and needed somebody, and he needed a job. So he was driving this woman, and she said, I want you to drive me to church. And he said, okay, and you know, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do whatever you want. I'll drive you wherever. And she said, I'd really like for you to come in. And he said, I mean, if you knew Reuben's background, um, it would make the hair stand up on the back of your neck. The dude's been in some, in some gangs and some pretty, pretty rough things in his life. And he said, I think, think the walls will fall in, you know. But he came in. He didn't come in in. He just came in. It just happened to be, and I know this was a crazy thing we did, but it just happened to be the week that I was talking about hell and I had our band cover Highway to Hell. And the prelude for the service that day, obviously they weren't using the lyrics, but they were obviously playing Highway to Hell. And Reuben, who was standing out in the lobby thinking, what kind of church is this, heard Highway to Hell going on in church and decided to come in and found Jesus. And so have a bunch of his friends and and all of his family. and, And now he's a monster volunteer for us. Because we were a church, and again, that was a crazy idea, and I probably won't ever do it again, but I guess I needed to do it for Reuben. And as Craig Groeschel said, to reach people no one is reaching, we must do the things that no one is doing. Listen, I could settle. I'm already an influential pastor. I'm a published author. I, I, you know, I, I, most guys at my age would go, you know what, what I think I'll do now, I'm not gonna do any more capital campaigns. I'm not gonna launch any more campuses. We're not gonna build, we're not gonna do anything else because man, we're, we're good here. I'm just gonna take care of the 99. But I could never do that because when I close my eyes at night, I know that what I would see is an image of my loving father up in heaven looking out on the horizon for Reuben and for all the people like him that need a church that can give them Ikea instructions on how to get to heaven. And I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent.